If you haven't done Rooted yet, you need to go out of here when we finish and just sign up. It's a, it's a no-brainer. You, you will, if you don't even, not even sure you believe in God yet, or if you've been walking with God for 50 years, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> that chokes me up because uh, I know Debbie, and uh, she was, I don't know if she's still here, but she was at the last service, and I, I got to meet Debbie almost three years ago when Hillary and I moved to this town. Um, I hadn't spent very much time here. We were, ta- we were going to take over leadership of this church, and, and so we said we got to live in the middle of Huntington Beach, and we got to get to know Huntington Beach, and so we did, and one of the first things I did was just walk around Main Street and just check it out, feel it out, meet people, and I was randomly walking in uh, to a real estate office on Main Street, and I walked in, and I thought, uh, you know, we, I said, hi, I'm Caleb. This person says, I'm Debbie. And you're looking for something? I'm like, yeah, uh, my wife and I need a place to live and our church is going to need some space to meet eventually. And so uh, we just started talking about that. She gave me a little history of, uh, of the city and some things that she had seen in her years of being here. And she said that she didn't go to church. And I said, well, if you ever do want to try to go to church, you would be welcome at our church. And she just kind of gave me the, that's nice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and then, like, two years later, when she's going through some hard things, uh, somebody invited her here, and she didn't know that it was going to be the church that I lead, and she just sits in the back, and her jaw drops. She's got, that's the guy. <laughs> so, remember, when you invite people, they actually come. And, and you never know, you never know when you're just having conversations or encouraging someone or meeting someone and planting seeds and just telling them, you know, inviting them. You never know. It might take a matter of years, but you might, you might be talking to a Debbie. <clears throat> All right. Would you pull out your outlines? We are kicking off a series called Reset. And the truth is that we all need a reset. You see that Debbie wanted a reset. She was at a place in her life where she was obviously not going the way she wanted it to go, and she needed something, she said. And so she showed up. She went through Rooted. Uh, she, she found something. She found, she got a redo. How many of you growing up, uh, or maybe you're still there, played video games? And you know, some of you are like, I'm right in the dead center of video game uh, playing. <clears throat> but you know that if you're trying to get like far in a game, you need to save up your lives for the really difficult levels. And if you're dying early, you might as well just restart the game, right? I didn't really play very many of those games, but I played some Tech Mobile and Super Tech Mobile. And even then, if you get scored on earlier, like, oh, let's replay that. I'm Bo Jackson. I can't get scored on in this game. I got to be right? And so there's all kinds of redos when you're growing up as a kid. Maybe you played football in the street and the car was coming and you're like, oh, stop, 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 car, 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 car. All right, redo. Let's go. Let's start that play again. And then as you get older, you realize that redos are harder to come by. You have these relationships and you wish you could just hit this shiny button and get a redo in this relationship. You've, you've been at this work thing, you've been at this life thing for a while, and now it's this just big hairy ball of mess and you don't know how to unwind this disaster and you wish that you could just press a button and get a redo and get a reset and a restart. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, you know, it is easy to find ourselves drifting off of the path. We have this kind of like gravitational pull to just being a little bit off. 
Uh, how many of you, did you know, there's, we got pilots in our church, how many of you realize that planes, as they're flying, average two degrees off their target destination the whole flight? So they're never exactly precisely on because of wind and everything else and just their pattern of flight and whatever. They're, they're averaging two degrees off and they're constantly having to bring themselves back and then they overcorrect and they bring themselves back and they overcorrect. And by the time that you're actually landing, hopefully you're on the dotted lines. But you're, you're, you're a little bit off most of the flight and our lives feel that way, don't they? You feel like, I kind of know the direction. Some of you are like, I have no idea the direction of my life right now. But some of you are, I kind of know the direction where I should be or the way I want to be or who I want to be, but I keep getting a little bit off track. Maybe it's two degrees, maybe it's 20 degrees, maybe it's more than that. But, but, but we all need to be reset, refocused, restarted sometimes. And here's the interesting thing that we're going to see this morning is that resets redos, they're actually not about your performance. They're not about how good you're behaving. They're not about are you good enough? Have you done too many bad things? What we're going to see from, from God's word from the Bible this morning is that resets are actually about relationship. That they're about a God who designed you to be in relationship with him, close to him, that he's knowable, he's relatable, that he's a God who's making things new all the time, and he invites us to be reset and renewed and to restart on a regular basis. I want to begin our journey today by giving you a little bit of background to a book in the Bible called Leviticus. Say Leviticus. Leviticus. It is maybe the book that is least read in all of Scripture, and anyone who has tried to read through the Bible, well, I don't know, where do I start? I guess I start at the beginning. You go to Genesis, and you're like, this is weird, but kind of cool and fascinating, and there's some good stories. In Exodus, there's some good stories, and maybe numbers, they get a little tripped up in numbers. In Leviticus, you're like, I'm out, I'm done. This thing is crazy. Who would possibly try to relate to this book, right? Most of us have never uh, been interested in reading that. Maybe this is your first time in church. You've never even heard of that. Let me give you a little bit of background. So, in the beginning, God creates. We use a slogan around here all the time that says, words create worlds. That we serve a God, that we were designed by a God who literally spoke and things came into being that weren't before. So he speaks and now there's this solar system, galaxy, universe, whatever. He speaks and then there's, there's animals, there's vegetation. He speaks and there's humans. And then we live and we exist. And he put us in a garden. It's famously called the Garden of Eden. And everything is good. And the Bible talks about how he would walk with the first humans in the garden. And he would relate to them. He was knowable. He's always been knowable. He's always been accessible. He's always been a personal God. But those first humans in the Bible, they were deceived. They believed some lie that they didn't need this God. That they could be independent of this God. That they could be like this God in some way. And they bought into that lie and they rebelled against that, that God and they found out immediately that they were wrong and they felt this disconnection from this God. That is the original sin. We've been dealing with that ever since. You have that sense in you that you can be connected, that there's something more, that there's a God out there, there must be something for you and yet, if you're anything like me, you tend to feel a disconnection. 
That there's something that's not right with this world. And so that rebellion and disconnection led to captivity because when you're disconnected from God, things don't go well. So chaos ensues and ultimately the people of God find themselves in slavery in a place called Egypt. You know the story. The Pharaoh, he's oppressing, he's, he's you know, making these people work. And then God sends this dude named Moses. He's like, let my people go. And he's like, no. And he's like, let my people go. Here's some plagues. And then he finally lets them go and they cross the Red Sea and the Red sea opens up and it swallows the army. I mean, that's the, you know, the story, right? And so finally he goes through, even if you're not Bible people, it's your first time in church. You've heard that story. So they're walking and, and they're going toward this promised land that God has designed for them. And he gives them the book of Leviticus. He gives them all these instructions as if to say, here is how you live as free people. All these other people live like this, all these other people do this way, or they live this way, or they, feel, they fear these gods, plural, that are out there, the sun god, the wood god, the whatever god. But here's how you're going to live, and that's what Leviticus is about. It's about living right. Live it right. So you have disconnection, rebellion, captivity, God rescues them, and sin ultimately is disconnection from God. There's a, there's a dude named uh, A.J. Jacobs who decided he, was, he decided that he was going to live uh, one year, like totally biblically, like, like every, down to the letter of the law, like everything in the book like Leviticus, that he was going to live accordingly. And this dude, he actually grew up Jewish, but you can watch a TED Talk about this guy. He says, I'm about as Jewish as the Olive Garden is Italian. So like I, <laughs> I, I know about it, I kind of have been born, but whatever, it's not... And so, but he's a journalist, and so he wanted to really put himself in this story. And so he looked at Leviticus, and he looked at the other books of the Bible, and he says, I'm going to live by every law. And there's over 600 of them, original Ten Commandments, and then like 600 more that really just give you the nitty-gritty context. And so do you have a picture of this guy? He, he really goes for it, and, uh, and he says, I'm going to do the clothes thing, I'm going to do the not cut the beard thing, I'm going to do all the things that I can do. Uh, he even went so far as to carry pebbles in his pockets of his little garment there because there's this little place in the Bible that says if, you, if there's an adulterer, you're supposed to stone such a person. And so just like on the occasion that he came across an adulterer, he had some pebbles in his pocket. And, and there's one time that he did, I think he was in like New York in Central Park and he's having a conversation with the guy and he's telling him like, what are you doing? You're weird. He's like, well, this is what I'm trying to do. And he goes, well, I'm an adulterer. And he took out some pebbles and the dude like took the pebbles out of his hand and threw it at him like mad, like how dare you? And so Jacob's thought, well, this is my perfect opportunity. So he picked him back up, he threw him back at the guy and he's like, check, I've stoned an adulterer, you know? So I've, I got that off of my list. So the dude tried to live by every like jot and tittle and cross every T and dot every I of this law and he discovered that he couldn't do it, that it was impossible, that he couldn't be perfect, that he couldn't live that way. And the interesting thing is this guy, he kind of missed the point. When he got to the end, he, he didn't fully realize what God had intended by these laws, but, but he was kind of, he was impacted and, and, and transformed in a way he began this journey of maybe his eyes being open, but what he's still missing that I want us to see today is that the law, all these laws, these weird Old Testament laws, and they're crazy. And if you look in Leviticus, you'll see. But what they do is they point toward the fact that we serve a God who has always desired relationship. 
And that, and that part, of this, part of this mechanism of having all of these laws is to expose the fact that we cannot do them perfectly, that there's still something more that we need in addition to these laws and how we're supposed to live, and that is relationship. Look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. The very first verse in this strange book called Leviticus says, when you bring an offering to the Lord. Now the word offering, when, when a Hebrew person would look at that, they would see it in terms of a drawing near. When you draw near to the Lord. And so from the very first few words of this strange book of Leviticus that has all these hundreds of rules, you get this hint of relationship. That God wants you and I, and has always for thousands of years, wanted us to draw near to be close. And the people then in that day would have thought that this was mind-blowing. You mean this is a God who, who is knowable? Who is personal? That, that they didn't get that because in that day and age, all of their gods, they were somewhere far away. They were, you couldn't connect with them. You couldn't connect with them. You couldn't know them. They were not personal gods. And so that the fact that this is introduced in this day was really, really interesting. One of the offerings uh, that Leviticus talks about is a peace offering. That if you wanted to try to have peace, try to be at peace between you and this creator of the universe, there was an offering that you could bring to make peace with God. In other words, you could, you could kind of know your standing with God. And so he invites, he gives instructions that you, you bring this meal, you bring this meat, and you, you eat it on this day. So a peace offering to make you right with God, was a meal. It's not a more relational thing, right? What do you do with friends when you're just getting to know them? You meet at Starbucks or you meet at a restaurant and you eat. It's part of intimacy. It's part of bonding. It's part of growing. It's it's what we do and God has always been that way. He says even these offerings in this religious structure and system are pointing to relationship. In other words, you can know this God. But what if you suddenly realize that you have blown it, that you've done something wrong several days ago? How do you make it right? Well, there was an offering for that. What if you, what if you realize that you did something unintentional, but you ended up harming someone else, and now they're really mad at you? There was an offering for that. What if you just had a guilty conscience, and you just couldn't shake it? There was an, app, an offering for that, too. They... God had that down. I mean, that's what this Leviticus thing was about. These offerings, these reconnecting, resetting points because he wanted to be knowable. But then you might ask, if you've ever thumbed through the book of Leviticus, why all the endless detail? It's just insane with all the minutia, the hoops that people would have to jump through. The interesting thing is, in that day and age, uh, People, they wouldn't know how their gods felt about them. They would, be, they would be afraid that they would do something to offend their god. They might step a little bit too far over the line and be smited and be you know, struck by a bolt of lightning and then, then they're done. And so they lived in this kind of little bit of paranoia about the unknowable gods and what they wanted and what they didn't want from life. And so this god shows up and he gives them this very clear instruction, which would have probably put them at ease, saying, well, now I know exactly what to do if I choose 
to do it. So there's the detail and then there's the minutia, perhaps for that reason. And then there's all kinds of repetition if you look at these Old Testament uh, laws and rules. You say, well, you do this at this time, and then you do that on top of it, and then they repeat it. Well, you do this, and you do that on top of it, and then you do this. Well, then you do that, and you do that on top of it, and you do this, and you do another thing. And so it's this repetition way, and so he's trying to read that, and you're like, this is insane. I can't read this. I can't do this. But you have to understand that in that day, they didn't just pull out their iPods, and or I- iPods. They don't do that anymore either now, really. They... they <laughs> their iPads and just like show each other the text, right? Or just kind of send it or whatever. Uh, They were passing these things down orally. And so repetition is a tool of communication to help people listen audibly. And so that's why it's so dense with repetition. And then you wonder, well, why is it still relevant today? Why, why Why is it in this book? And part of the reason is to show the whole journey that God has had for his people. With the, with the origin of creation in the beginning, our rebellion, wanting to do our own thing, and how the trouble that that gets us into, and then the journey of rescue. And part of that journey is realizing that God has always wanted relationship, but in this day, people associated themselves with this, this era that they couldn't, they couldn't understand, they couldn't speak the same language, and so God is talking to them in a way that they can understand. He's speaking to them in a way when these, all these gods are unknowable and they're out there. This is the next step in relating to a God who wants to be more personal. He starts with where people are, and he takes us the next step. And so Leviticus seems crazy, but in its context, It makes more sense. It's why St. Paul, the famous Apostle Paul, says that Leviticus or the law is like a tutor coaching us, teaching us, God's people, what it is that God wants. It, it, It points to something more, something further, something that would come later. Ultimately, it points to relationship. We're not going to study the whole book of Leviticus. I just want us to look at a little piece of it in chapter 25 today. Starting in verse 1, the Bible says, While Moses, the guy who God gave the commandments to, was on Mount Sinai, the Lord came and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. Try to stick with me. This is a little bit wordy. Every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields, and prune your vineyards, and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. That's what Sabbath means. It means rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. So Sabbath means rest, and perhaps you've heard people referring to Sundays as the Sabbath or Saturdays as the Sabbath. It doesn't matter. What matters is that there's six days where people work and they do stuff, and there's a seventh day where people rest. And that's modeled after what you see in the very beginning when God is creating, and it says he's creating for six days, and the seventh day he rested, and it was setting an example for us, probably so that we remember that we're not not the ones who keep this world turning, that we are not the ones who sustain our own lives, that we are not the masters of our own destinies. And so God says, I want you to rest on this seventh day to reset, to remember, 
And I want it to happen in this kind of a rhythm. So as you see the rhythmic thing playing out, you've got the seven days. And then this passage has said that at every seven years, I want you to give the land a rest. So it's not just for humans, it's for all of creation. I want you to rest the land. I don't want you to be farming. I don't want you to be doing all those kinds of things. I want you to just let the, the land have peace and rest as well. It's a whole creation kind of thing. The earth has to rest. And then verse 8, in addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. You see the rhythm? Every seven days, you pause, you rest, you reset, you refocus. Every seven years, you rest, and you make a big deal out of it for the whole year. You can't work the land. And then every seven times seven, so you get to the 49th year, and in the 50th year, we make a big deal out of this thing. We're calling it the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, if you have debts, if people owe you debts, you must forgive the debt. You let them off the hook. All the credit that they've built up, you just have to forgive it. That's what the year of Jubilee is about. And people that have debts are like, yes. If you have forgiveness that you have not extended to someone, they have hurt you in some way, you must forgive. And if you have slaves that are working for you, you must set them free. But wait, they still owe me like three more years. No, the year of Jubilee says you must set them free. And so people partied. It was a big deal. It's like, this is the year of Jubilee. Everything's forgiven. Everything is made right. It's the freaking Catalina wine mixer. You know, it's, it's the year of Jubilee. This is happening right now. And so people made a big deal about the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, it would happen one or two times in a lifetime. <clears throat> Well, in our church, Mariner's Church, this is the year of Jubilee. Mariner's has been around 49 years. It started in, 49 years ago in, a, in an elementary school called Mariner's Elementary in Newport Beach. And it bounced around and it moved from there, and then it found its home finally in, uh, in the place where it is in Irvine. And it's grown there, and what an awesome church it is. What a fantastic legacy and network that we are part of. Now there's five Mariners churches, and there will be more, and we continue to plant churches and reach more and more people in Orange County and beyond, because that's what God is continuing to say, that in this year of Jubilee, pause, rest, reflect, prepare, because there's more. Now, interestingly... This year of Jubilee for Mariners as a whole is also our seventh year as a church. That this church was birthed six years ago. And then in this year, for us here, we pause and we remember. We look at God's faithfulness to this church over 50 years. We look at God's faithfulness to this church over this last six. And we look at God's faithfulness to all of us throughout human history, throughout this whole story. We pause, we remember, we reset, we refocus. And we pay attention. We pay attention because God has wired these kind of rhythms into our life. And it's not just about you and every seven days. It's a bigger story. It's a bigger story that you are part of. And it's a bigger story that he's telling still. There's more that is coming. So resets are about rest. Sabbath means rest. Resets are about rhythms. You see the rhythms that are playing out in this whole thing, seven days, seven years, seven series of seven years. 
And ultimately, resets are about relationship. Look at this next verse from Ezekiel. God says, Keep my Sabbaths, my days of rest, holy, that they might be a sign between us. Look at the relational language. I want this to be a sign between us, between you and me. I want you to remember. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I'm the same God who has always been inviting you to draw near, who has always wanted relationship. And that's actually ultimately what those rules have always been about. They've always been about pointing you to a God who designed and desired relationship. The same God who walked in the garden with people and people disconnected themselves, rebelling against him. He has found a way to bring back relationship. God designed us, this is in your outline, to reset, redo, and reconnect. In the midst of all those rules, rhythms, rest is about maintaining relationship with your God. So Hillary and I uh, had a new baby born almost a month ago, Henry. And uh, some of you, if you haven't had kids yet, you don't really know this, but those of you who have, you do know. The first month is rough in terms of like sleep. Uh, maybe a lot of things, but especially sleep. So this kid, just, he wakes up every two hours and he's hungry. He eats like a champ. And so the burden is a little bit more on Hillary because I don't have the mechanics, but, but she, she's a champ. But sometimes she gets tired too and she gives me the, your turn, you know, get this kid to sleep. I just fed him. And so we, we were going through that. The first couple of weeks were especially really exhausting. And uh, at the end of the second week, um, we were both really, really tired, and we had this miscommunication. And so uh, Hillary became very angry with me. Apparently, um, she had asked me to do something, and I just forgot, and that was the miscommunication. Uh, but she was mad, and, and I was mad that she was mad, and she was overreacting, and I was like, you are overreacting. And you're like, no, you do this. And I was like, it takes me 90 seconds to do it. I will do it in the morning. Everything will be fine. No, it's not the point. Right? You've been there, hopefully. It's not just me, but you, <laughs> that's, where we, that's where we were. And what, we, what happened was the next day we woke up and we realized we are just really stinking tired. Like it was, it was such a small thing. It was so silly. But we were so tired and we had not connected. We were disconnected relationally because our lives were upside down with this newborn. And so the next night we just hung out on the couch. We turned off, the, we didn't watch TV, and we just kind of looked at each other and ate some peanut M&Ms and drank some milk and just talked. <laughs> it's like the best dessert. And we just talked and we just reconnected. And then we tried to go to bed early, right? Because there's something about when you feel connected, all the little issues just kind of fall away. But when you're disconnected, the little issues become bigger issues. When I was a kid, uh, my parents were intentional about trying to put us to bed together at night. And so uh, I had two younger brothers, and as we grew older, the, the, the stories got more elaborate. The time, the, you know, in the nighttime, we looked forward to it more. And it was like, uh, at least one of them, but often both of them, both parents would come in and we would talk about the day and then they would tell us some kind of crazy story about kids in a castle and taking over the world and whatever. And, 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 and then we would say our prayers and go to sleep. And uh, that was the nightly ritual and I remember it as a kid being awesome. 
but now I see, because I have my own kid uh, that I put to bed, that it's really like more valuable to me than it is to Jack. And for my parents, I think it was, it was more fun for them than even it was for us as kids. I think for them, it was, there, sure, there was some like coaching involved. Yeah, how was your day? How did the thing go when your brother hit you in the face? And did you handle that well? And whatever, you know. But it was more about connection. It was more about relationship. It was more about building that trust and that, that relationship that would endure processing the day and everything was, was important. But what my parents always wanted was us to know how much they love us and that they would feel connected to us as well. And you might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what you're saying is the God of the universe is like that? Yep. Where do you think this all came from? Where do you think families and parents and marriage, and where do you think that all was designed? You serve a God. You were created and designed by a God. There's a God who breathed life into your lungs, who desperately wants a relationship with you. And this whole biblical story, even all these 600 plus laws are all pointing to that truth. And there Jesus came, got in skin on, and he showed up and he died on a cross to pay for all the rebellion in the history of mankind, pointing to that truth that God made you because he loves you and wants a relationship with you. All those signs point to relationship. And it goes even further. Look at this verse in Galatians 5.14. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible, God is saying, the whole law, all 600 plus laws, we go from 600 to one. Love God, and the way you love God is by loving people like yourself. It's all been about relationship. It's all about connection. When we say reset, it's really about reconnect reconnect with the God who designed you. God designed us to reset, redo, and reconnect. And then he goes on in verse 16 of Galatians. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. It's not about the law anymore. That you can have the same Spirit of Jesus in you. You go from governed by the law to guided by God himself. That Jesus died, he hung on that cross. That's what we celebrated at Easter, that he rose from the dead. But he didn't stop there. He leaves his spirit with us now. And his spirit guides us. So we don't have to try to memorize 600 plus laws and, and do them perfectly and keep pebbles in our pockets. We just follow this spirit, God's very own spirit who whispers, who talks. Even if you've never had a relationship with God before, you have experienced this spirit. You've experienced it when you get that tug, when you get the sweats in your hands, you think there's something I'm supposed to do right now. Or when you're up against something and you know this is not the direction I'm supposed to go. There's something that's pulling you back. There's people that God has put in your path 
for a reason at just the right time, who have invited you somewhere like here, who have kind of whispered it in your ear and told you the perfect thing. That's God's Spirit working in all these ways and all these times and all these places everywhere. And it's because God has been telling a story since the beginning of time, and it's about relationship with you. He has always wanted connection to you. And all the rules, they prove that you can't do it, but that's not even the point. The point has always been relationship. We drift 2%, 20% in different directions. But he brings us back and he invites us, reset. Reset in some kind of a rhythm, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, every seven years. There's all these resets that are built in for the purpose of reconnection. So I want to invite you to try and experiment this week. I want to invite you to pray a prayer moment by moment, maybe on the hour, every hour, maybe every morning, every night, some kind of a rhythm. I want you to pray this prayer. God, help me to reset and reconnect with your spirit. Help me to reset and reconnect with your spirit. Because you're here, you're with us, you're in me, you're leading me. And I'm going to fail. I'm not, I'm not going to be perfect. There's all these ways of being, and that's not even the point. The point is relationship. And the closer that relationship gets, the smaller those little issues become. Would you try that experiment this week? And if you would be so courageous, even email me and tell me how that's going. Tell me what happens. Let me know what God does. God, I pray that you would continue to speak that you would whisper to us, that you would draw us, that you would reset us. Some of us desperately need a reset and a redo today. Draw us closer as we draw near to you. Let your Holy Spirit lead us, guide us, and connect us to our loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name.